The life of an actor is often a cross between a seesaw and a roller coaster. Sometimes it's as simple as an up and down choice between opportunities and trying to find the balance in our life and work. While other times we're just along for the ride, especially when it comes to those auditions and callbacks, going in ways we can't control and just doing all we can to make the best choices in the moment. But today's guest has learned that even when you think you've booked the job, that doesn't really mean you've booked the job. Hey everyone, I'm Ricky Schroeder. I'm from Rochester, New York, and I live currently in New York, and I am an actor. Ricky has been dancing since he was three years old and has gone on to do a variety of projects from musicals like Kinky Boots and Hairspray Live to television shows, including The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel and Pose. Now, his name may sound similar to another actor from Silver Spoons and NYPD Blue, but on Twitter, he is quick to point out that he is not that Ricky Schroeder. In fact, he's been working to make his mark as more than just a dancer but rather an all-around performer in the areas of acting, singing, and even improv. And I think being well-rounded is very important, but also I think playing to your strengths is important. When you know there are other sides to you that people aren't seeing, it's important to find opportunities to show those sides and surprise people. Welcome and thank you for joining me for another episode of Why I'll Never Make It, an award-winning Top 25 Theater podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Oliver-Jones, an actor and singer, talking with fellow creatives each episode of personal struggles and professional hardships with lessons we can all learn from. The website is whyillnevermakeit.com, where you can subscribe to bonus episodes and offer your own financial support to the production of this podcast. Again, that's why I'll never make it.com. Now, before we get into the conversation, I wanted to let you know that this will be slightly different from other episodes you've heard. While, yes, stories will still be shared, they'll be grouped together to highlight a journey that is common to all actors, one of hopeful expectation as well as disappointing missed opportunities. Welcome, Ricky. It is so good to see you again. So good to have you on my podcast. Thanks for being with me today. Absolutely. Thank you so much for asking me. I'm glad we finally made it happen. I know we've been talking about this for almost, I think, a couple of years now trying to make this work. So I'm glad it finally worked out. Yeah, me too. (laughs) Now, you and I, we first met on Kinky Boots, which really has been a part of your life for many years now. What was the first time that you performed in Kinky Boots? The first time was eight years ago for the first national tour. That's the first time I performed the show. The first time I was ever involved with the show was actually back in 2012. I did some pre-production for the show before it went out of town and before it went to Broadway. Just Jerry needed an actor, Jerry Mitchell, director choreographer of the show, needed an extra body in the room. So I came and helped out. And yeah, so then I finally got to perform it a couple of years later in 2014 for the first national tour, which our first stop was in Las Vegas, of all places. <laughs> well, I mean, it seems a very appropriate place for Kinky Boots to go. And I know for myself, when I did the national tour of Adam's Family, that they did some rewrites and changes for the tour as opposed to the Broadway production. Did they do any kind of changes as Kinky Boots moved to the tour? I don't think the tour had really many changes in terms of script. At that point, it was pretty much a carbon copy of the Broadway show. 
I think our only changes were set things, you know, what could be toured and what I know there was more automation on Broadway than we, I think we had one moment of automation on tour was the runway and the finale, but otherwise it was pretty much the same. Because I remember when we did it at Muni together, I think a lot of those set pieces were either from the tour or Broadway or a combination of both. So yeah, the set is very important to that show with regards to the track and different things yeah. and pieces moving around. But even at the Muni, things were different because, you know, it's that huge yeah, stage. it's so huge. And the turntable, which we never had before, and that was fun, and coming up in the elevator for Land of Lola. And there was some fun new stuff that we got to do at the Muni too, which I really enjoyed. Yeah, I thought it was a great production. And yeah. it was my that was my first time to perform it. And I now understood why people love doing the show so much. And obviously people like you who've been with it for eight years. What is it like to do a show and have it be so identified with your career? For a show like that, which you know, 2013 Best Musical, Tony Award winner, Grammy Award winner for the score, Olivier Award winner, it's pretty great. You know, it's such a great show that people love so much. And I've loved being a part of it. And it's funny, a lot of people actually think that I have done the show on Broadway. They just assume that I haven't. Don't tell anyone, just let them think that. But <laughs> I've only done the tour and the current off-Broadway production and the Muni productions. Yeah, because you and I were both waiting for our Broadway debuts, exactly. Still waiting. <laughs> well, I love the topic that you want to bring up today. And this is that idea of even when you think you've booked something, you really haven't booked something. And so we're going to go through some of the shows that you've not done, some of the shows that you thought you were going to do. And I think it's a good sampling of the different ways that us actors can get excited about a project and then all of a sudden for one reason or another it falls through and the first two that you wanted to talk about one was the britney spears musical yes it's called i think the current title is once upon a one more time and they did a chicago out of town tryout for it which i was not a part of but it's basically it's using britney's songbook I did the very first reading of the show. And the story at the time was, it was all your favorite storybook characters, Snow White, Cinderella, Little Mermaid, Jasmine, like basically all the Disney princesses, but not Disney because copyright, just like their original, you know, folklore tales or the grim fairy tales or whatever. And the idea was that every night when parents read their kids, their favorite stories, these characters are performing the stories. And then when the parent shuts the book, they have like their own lives to go through and they start to realize like, hey, maybe this isn't what I want to do or like changing myself for a man isn't the best thing to do. Or it was a cute idea for sure. And yeah, at the time I was asked to be a part of the very first reading. And I was so excited because first of all, I love Britney Spears. And love for music. And it was my first time ever being asked to do like the very first reading of a brand new Broadway bound show. And that's like what you need. A lot of the time when a show gets to the point where it's going to be on Broadway, they have everyone involved because it's people from the past readings and workshops and out of town productions. So when you're auditioning for that show, they're probably looking for a very few specific tracks. And it's harder to get cast that way, I feel like. Whereas if you can get in the ground floor, it's like, great. So I was asked by the director at the time to be a part of it. And something happened 
right before the reading where the director could no longer do it. There's a disagreement with producers, something. And the Britney musical people reached out and said, hey, did you still want to do this? And I was like, yes. Like, <laughs> <laughs> It's like, I've been cast in it. So yeah, yes. I, like they, they thought I only wanted to do it because of the directors involved. And it's like, no, I like, I'll still gladly do the show. So I did it. And I had like little lines, little solo singing moments here and there, got some laughs, felt great about it. And was this initial reading, was it those kind of fleshed out where it's a, you're actually doing some of the dances or was it behind the stands with the scripts in hand? Yeah, this reading was just scripts at, at like music stands. It was the very first draft of the show. So there was no staging at all with it. It was just getting the story heard, basically. And I was like, oh my God, this can be amazing. I can't wait till the next reading. And then maybe a year later, maybe a little less than a year later, and all of a sudden I saw some of the same people start posting like Britney things together on their Instagram stories. I was like, wait a minute. And then I realized, oh, they're doing another workshop and I wasn't asked to come back. And I don't know why. I don't know if it was because of my initial involvement with the director who had a disagreement with the producers or if, yeah, I don't know why, but it was one of those things that was just like heartbreaking because I was so excited to get in on the ground floor for something. And in these posts that you saw, were there other people from that original reading that you saw? Was it most of them or was it a bunch of new faces? It was some original people and then some new people. It was most of the people who had like larger parts, whereas I was in the ensemble of it. You know, it could be that a new music director was involved and they have their ensemble singer people that they love that they bring in. You know, you never know. And unfortunately, you never really get told why. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, whether it's an audition and or a callback or not a callback or then shows like this that move on without you. Yeah. Feedback loop is very silent when it comes to why yes. things happen the way they do. But as you say, us actors, we only know the show that we're in, that we're actually performing. And beyond that, you just never know because it's similar to the show that I'm doing right now, 42nd Street. They have made it their intention to go to Broadway, but no guarantee that any of us at good speed will continue on. You know, right. that's not a part of our contract. So they could keep all of us and love us, or they could leave out the ensemble, keep the principles or vice versa. Yeah, you never know with shows like that. And something similar happened with Muriel's Wedding. Now this was going to be a, a new musical, correct? Yes, they did the musical in Australia. So initially, end of 2019, they were doing auditions, just like ECCs, EPAs, for a reading of it. And I went in to a singer call, and I sang my song. The music director and casting director both really liked it, and they thought it was funny. And I ended up getting a call back. And I had to learn like three songs and three sets of sides for three different characters. And I did it, and I felt great about it. Then I didn't get it at that point. But then a couple months later, beginning of 2020, I got an email out of the blue that they were now going to do a workshop and they wanted me to come back in and audition for that. So I came in again saying there was maybe one new thing I had to do, but yeah, saying the same characters and read the same sides. And then I was invited to come back to a dance call. And then from there, I was invited to come back again for like a final callback with the director and it all felt amazing. It felt great. And then days before the shutdown, I got the email that I had booked the workshop. 
And I was really excited about this because it was sort of the first show that I had booked from an ECC singer call that I didn't know anyone involved. And I was really proud of myself because personally, I've been trying to break out of this dancer box that I feel like a lot of people think like, oh, Ricky, he's a dancer, which dancers are incredible. But a lot of people incorrectly assume that dancers can't sing and can't act. So I was feeling like that I proved myself as a singer and as an actor that I like went in as that first, as a singer and actor first. And then I danced and the director had even said like, oh my God, you were an amazing dancer. And he made that comment and made me feel great. And so I, I had booked the show and then the world shut down. And then we got the email that the workshop had been canceled, which, you know, I still was like, okay, well, maybe when the world comes back to life, it'll happen again. Cut to two years later, they post the audition notices again, they're going to do the workshop again. And I reached out to my agents like, hey, you know, I booked this last time. So <laughs> let's see if like, are they inviting people who they already hired back? So they reached out and I had heard a friend of mine who was involved had already gotten an offer and I hadn't heard anything. Now, was this someone who had booked it previously like you? Yes. He had actually done the reading that I hadn't booked and then he was going to do the workshop as well. So he had gotten an offer and he actually wasn't going to do it this time because he was busy with something else, but I hadn't heard anything still. And I was like, please, you know, let them know I'll audition again. I'll do the material again. I was also excited because this workshop was, is one of the workshops where you get a point if the show ever recuperates. Which is, yeah, which is a big deal now. Yeah. That's yeah. one of those things that equity has worked out that a lot of these developmental workshop labs can, instead of just getting paid for the week or two that you do it, now us performers have a stake in its future, which is a, yeah. it's a good thing. That's a great thing. So then... It was a long time of me going back to my agent and be like, have you heard anything? Have you heard anything? Have you heard anything? And then it was like the week before that the rehearsals were supposed to begin for this workshop. And my agent kept hearing back from the casting director, you know, they're still not sure. They don't know. I'm like, well, I don't know why they're not sure. And it's a week away. So am I doing it or not? Another one of my friends who I had celebrated in 2020 that we were both going to do the workshop together had already gotten an offer. And finally, they said they went with another actor. So it was like, in my mind, it was two years of this being like the project that got away. Like the one thing that I was really proud of myself, proving myself as an actor, as a singer, and that I can like, I can book something without knowing anyone involved. And it's that thing that I always experience, like almost every job I book, I'm at the first day of rehearsal, I'm like, oh my God, they're gonna realize they made a mistake mm -hmm. and they're gonna fire me. And so this time it really actually did feel like that because <laughs> they did hire me and then who knows why they made the decisions that they did, but for whatever reason, they decided that they no longer wanted to hire me. So it felt like I am correct in my insecurities. Yes. After um, two years of thinking about it, they're like, no, Ricky is not yeah, the one we want. Ricky's yeah. not the one. Yeah. And you know, who knows down the line, maybe they'll ask me back. I, you know, I don't have any hard feelings towards them. I have hard feelings towards myself in this that I, you well, know. Yeah, I, yeah. Because we think that we failed, that we didn't do enough, yeah. that we didn't show ourselves or, uh, yeah. I, I mean, ev even though you did book it, so you had that excitement, but then to not make it because the show that I did before 42nd Street was Anne of Green Gables, a, a new musical. And there are those who had booked it early part of 2020. 
and then shut down. So then whenever it came back this year, there were several that were kept, but then there were some that weren't. Yeah. And so I was one of the people that was brought on and auditioned for the first time this year. So yeah, there was a portion of the cast, for whatever reason, yeah. was not going to be with this particular production. And yeah, you just never know. And I think that's one of the hardest things as performers is that not knowing. Because yeah. all we want to do is be that character, be what you need. How can I better sing this or act this? We want to please that director or whoever's in the room. And so then to not know what we did or didn't do is, it could be very frustrating. Yeah. And it's almost easier, like, in this kind of happened, it happens to a lot of actors in terms of developmental stages and creatives have different ideas of things going forward. So you do a reading or you do a workshop and then you're not asked to come back for the next one, like what happened with the Britney musical for me. But that, in my mind, is almost easier than not even being able to do the work. It would be better if I had been able to be a part of the workshop and then for the next incarnation, they said, you know what, Ricky isn't really that it's we're just looking for something else. Whereas wasn't even able to give them the chance at seeing me do anything. It was just like it was just the idea of me was not good. enough. <laughs> it's like you without know? even seeing you perform it, we know. Yeah, yeah, we know. That's really tough. For the second set of shows you want to talk about, the first is The Last OG, the TV series with Tracy Morgan. What exactly happened in that instance? For The Last OG, it was a dream come true. I wasn't asked to audition, I just was offered, which is never happens. But it was just a dancing role in the pilot episode of the show. And the idea was that Tracy's character, he's just gotten out of jail. And he comes into after, I don't remember how long, but enough time where before he was in jail, no one had smartphones. Now he's out of jail and everyone has a smartphone. So he's walking in a park and sees everyone glued to their phones. And the idea was that us dancers, we're in the park, we're all on our phones. And all of a sudden we just start dancing around and it becomes this contemporary, balletic, slow-mo, like beautiful scene of people just attached to their phones, but dancing and he's sort of in awe of it. And the crazy thing about this was I was having huge imposter syndrome because there wasn't really any choreography for this. It was all sort of like improv. Is everyone supposed to be doing the same thing? No, everyone was kind of doing their own like contemporary movement thing. And we had like little moments of that were choreographed and we were doing it and then it was feeling good. And then the director was actually me and this one girl. He was like, I want two of you to just like really play off of each other and like dance around each other. So we spent a good amount of time of like just the two of us being featured, being filmed. And I like, why are they, well, ask me to do this. I don't feel like I'm even good enough doing this, but we did it. And the whole idea and concept of it seemed really cool. And I was really excited to see it. And finally, months and months later, the trailer for the show came out and I saw like a glimpse of me walking in the park and I was like, oh my God, there I am excited. And then the premiere date came and I watched it and there was nothing. So like, was, like no dancing at all? No dancing at all. Oh my gosh. So oh my gosh. it was like, I still got the job and I still got paid for it, but I didn't get to see the fruits of my labor. And it's, you know, it happens to every actor, like ending up on the cutting room floor, but it doesn't make it easy, <laughs> especially when you've told people to watch. 
you're like, well, hope you enjoyed the show itself because <laughs> I was not in it. No, that happened to me recently as a stand-in for The Tonight Show. They brought me in because normally I'm just a part of the rehearsal. For the show itself, they actually brought me in to record something playing the part of Jason, you know, from Friday the 13th. And so it was supposed to be this whole thing where I'm holding the cue cards while Jimmy is reading it. And it's all about me saying I'm going to kill him. And he just he's reading it. And then it's like, oh, just kidding. You know, so... It was kind of a funny bit moment between Jimmy and myself, you know, so I'm like so excited. I'm finally going to be on tonight's show. I tell people to watch completely cut. Like, yeah. like they, they just cut it from the final. And, but there was one little bit of me just kind of staring through uh, a door window that stayed, but that was it. But the whole cue card thing was cut. So of course I'm thinking, oh my gosh, did I not do well? Was it me? Yeah. Did you go through that as well? Thinking, did I mess up the dance or something? For this, I didn't. Because it was like, it wasn't just me. There was like eight of us dancers. So it, it, in, even though I was having like imposter syndrome doing it, I was thinking if I really, first of all, I don't think the director would have asked me and this one other girl to step out and like be featured if he didn't like what I was doing in, while we were filming. And also if it was me being bad and that's, they can edit around me, like the way they were filming, they could have done something, but it just... It felt like that concept didn't work with how the episode panned out because it was sort of this very artsy concept that didn't feel like it actually fit in with the tone of the episode. So I kind of understood why, but I totally understand that feeling. And so was it the same for the TV show Younger? Because you, you'd audition for it and then... So Younger, yeah, I auditioned for a part on Younger. And this is sort of not quite the same but more of a lesson that I sort of needed to learn as an actor in terms of what the phrase pinned means. I've been pinned for a number of projects, and which means there's a very good shot that you're going to get the job or it's like down to you and another person or something. But every other time that I had gotten pinned for something, I had gotten it. So I just in my arrogance, let's just say, I'm going to be playing the role. I got pinned for Younger and I was really excited. It was a scene with just me and Sutton Foster and like still a small co-star role, but like bigger than the stuff I had played before. And and then I didn't get it. I mean, part of what I do, even before I get pinned or even before I get a call back, it's like when I get the audition, it's this delusion that I feel is maybe the one thing keeping me going in this career. It's like I get the audition and I, I start planning my schedule. Yeah. It's like, yeah. yeah, you start looking ahead to the future. Yeah, You start looking like, oh my God, that's going to be amazing. Like me and Sutton are going to have a great time on set together. We're going to be besties. We're like, <laughs> oh, this is schedule. I'll have to move this thing. I'll have to cancel this thing. I hope it doesn't fall on this date. Like I'll figure it out. It starts to become your reality in your mind which makes it harder when it doesn't happen as opposed to letting it go and then it doesn't happen. You're like, oh, well, I already let it go. But that hope, it feels so good when you're having it that it's like, like it's the one thing that keeps me going. And somehow I'm still able to have that delusional hope at times. But yeah, for younger, it was just a lesson on pinned. It does not mean you have the job. So good lesson to learn. Yeah, yeah. Because I had one of those with a commercial. It's going to be a national commercial. And I was put on hold. That's another thing that yeah. they tell you. You're on hold. You know, make sure you have those dates available. And so you're thinking, oh, okay, I will make sure. Yeah. So 
it was the weekend before filming was to start. And so I reached out to my agent, hey, I, I haven't heard anything, you know, and, and like, well, you're still on hold. I'm like, but they film in like 48 hours. I think they would know if they, you know, I didn't hear from them. And then Monday morning, <laughs> Monday morning, when the call was 6 a.m., my agents got back to me at 10 a.m. saying, you're no longer on hold. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, I realized that 24 hours ago. I had uh, turned down work that would have happened that week, but instead, you That's know. That's the frustrating part, too, is you're <laughs> sort of expected to literally be on hold for an opportunity that you may not get, and then you miss out on other opportunities because of that. Yeah, it's one of those things where some casting directors, I think they're getting better at it, but some, they still think we're just waiting by the phone or by our computers waiting for that call or email, and just we're ready to go. When, you know, we're now starting to have lives that may be other parts of performing, other parts of creative, or may just be nine to five jobs so that we can yeah. get by and make it. So there's so much more to our lives now than just waiting on these auditions. As more and more musicals make their way onto film, there's been even more chances for us stage performers to cross over onto the big screen. In this week's bonus episode, Ricky talks about auditioning for the movie adaptation of the Jason Robert Brown musical, The Last Five Years. It's an example of how casting is looking at our personalities as much as our talent. Now, to get bonus episodes like these, it's quite simple, actually, and is only a few clicks away. You see, podcasting, while enjoyable, isn't cheap. And for just a few dollars each month, you can not only support While Never Make It, but you'll also hear audition stories and other conversations with guests that you won't get in these main episodes. So please consider lending your financial support to this podcast with a monthly subscription by going to whyillnevermakeit.com and click subscribe or just look for the link in the show notes. Well, the third set of shows you want to talk about, these are really interesting because Broadway 4D is one of those shows that I had heard of kind of in, in whispers, but it never really happened, even though they had done some work on it. It just completely went away. And this was something that you were casting from the beginning or were going to be a part of. Yeah, Broadway 4D was supposed to be this like big new tourist attraction from New York City. They were renovating this old theater and it was going to be like part movie, part live performers with like motion or like smells or water. A full your sensory yeah, experience. Yes. Yeah, exactly. A full sensory experience with like live performance and film performance of all the Broadway hits, like big numbers from big musicals. I'd auditioned for the West Side Story segment and for the Hairspray segment, and I had actually gotten cast in both. And I was really excited to be a part of it. And I had costume fittings for it. And then just sort of after we had the costume fittings, never really got any other information about anything that was going to happen. And then they just said that the entire project had been canceled. And it was that thing of like, I was hired to do the job. But I still didn't get to do the job. No one got to do the job, unfortunately. And it was supposed to be this like huge thing that like a lot of money was going into. And yeah, because I was looking up the history of the show. It was like 60 to 90 million dollars. So this was like huge budget. I mean, that, you know, Broadway musical may be 
on the high end, 15 to 20 million just yeah. for a Broadway musical to get it up and running. Talking like Spider-Man type of money that were just tens of millions of, of dollars yeah. going into it. And so I would imagine though that, I mean, the disappointment's still there, but the whole production was canceled. It's not yes. like you were cut from it. Yes. So it's a little bit easier to take. That is easier. I mean, it's easier to take when everyone's out of a job, not just you. <laughs> <laughs> right, when you're not alone. Because this would have been one of those things, as you said, a tourist attraction that would have been ongoing months and hopefully years into the future. Yeah. So you would be getting paid for this thing that you did once and you would continue to get paid for it and you can go on to other jobs, but that would always be there where yeah. you were represented on film. For the next show you want to talk about, Bye Bye Birdie, this was one of those live musicals that they're going to do on network television, but that one fell apart in similar fashion. Yeah, so I had done Hairspray Live for NBC, which was one of the most fun experiences I've had. It was such a blast living in LA for a few months and working with like the stars and just the incredibly talented crew of like uh, and like filming on the back lot of Universal Studios. It was so much fun. And and Jerry Mitchell, who choreographed Hairspray, was then, it was all set and announced that he was going to direct Bye Bye Birdie live for NBC starring Jennifer Lopez. And he had meetings with her. And he had said at the time that he was going to have me be a part of it and a couple other people that were part of Hairspray Live he wanted to bring on to Bye Bye Birdie as well. And it sort of didn't happen. I think it came down to Jennifer's schedule, maybe. But it was one of those things, once again, where, yeah, you start planning and getting excited for something and then it just kind of falls apart. And the big thing about this one, too, was like Hairspray Live paid really well and got me like the best health insurance through SAG-AFTRA. So I was looking forward to getting that paycheck again. And especially when it comes to things like like health insurance, that's a big thing. And then you don't get it. You got to kind of scramble to figure things out or you just pay the COBRA for the equity insurance, which is not cheap. But yeah, it was just, it was another disappointing thing where it was like, I knew like this was the plan to do the job and, and then the job didn't happen. And I don't even think it was ever canceled officially. It was postponed. So maybe it'll happen at some point. I don't know if by the time it happens, I'll look young enough to play the high school role that I was going to play, but maybe. <laughs> now with Jerry being a part of it, was he part of those decisions of whether or not to postpone it? I don't think he was. It was really up to him at all in terms of postponing or canceling it. I think there were other factors involved. Like I said, I'm not really sure what happened, but I don't think he really had a say in it. I think he was also really looking forward to doing it and being the director at the helm of it, like directing and choreographing it. And you had mentioned earlier about being cast in something, you know, as, a, as an actor and singer first before dancer, being cast by a creative team that you didn't know. And certainly Jerry Mitchell has been a part of your dancing career and also now your personal life. You two have been together for years now. And has that been ever an issue with him casting you or not casting you in something? No, I don't think it's never been an issue. There are, there are certain projects he does that like Pretty Woman on Broadway, he didn't even let me audition for. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. He didn't think I was right for it for whatever reason. And that's why I, like, I love him and I respect him. One of the many reasons is that he's not going to just put me in something just to put me in it. And I have worked with him a lot, which I love working with him. And we've been together for 10 years, but it is 
sometimes it does feel like, can I book anything else that my partner isn't part of? Which was another factor into the Muriel's wedding situation. It was like, wow, I really booked like a Broadway bound show without my partner being involved. Like, even though I know Jerry believes in me and believes in my talent and wouldn't put me in something unless I was absolutely right for it. There is that part of you that's like, well, maybe Jerry is blinded by his love for me. He thinks I'm better than I am, you know, or something like that. So this yeah. it was sort of vindication whenever I book something that I do not know anyone involved. It's like, I really got that job. I stood out. My talent stood out. But what I do have to keep reminding myself too is, you know, a lot of people book jobs because they know people, you know? Yeah, and whether they're in a relationship or not, they've worked yeah. with them before or they just have a good connection with them. And so a director or choreographer yeah. brings them in. Yeah. They're like, I know you, I know your talent, I know we get along, I know you're a good energy to have in the room, and I like you. And that is like, you know, people say it all the time, it's who you know, and it can be who you know for sure. And I think that chemistry is really a big part. Whenever I was cast in my first national tour, that was the first time it had clued into me how much chemistry, personality can affect whether or not you're cast in a show, that in the callbacks they want to see your dancing, your talent, your singing, whatever it is, they also want to see, are you just nice? Are you yeah. personable? Do, you know, Do you have a good attitude? Just the basics of working with someone day in, day out. So obviously, you know, you and Jerry love each other, but is that easy then to go from a personal to a professional relationship? At times it is, and at times it's harder. I enjoy it when we're in rehearsal together because, well, first of all, he picks on me more than he picks on anyone else. But I also, like, I'm the only one who can... Dish it back. Yeah. <laughs> Not in a disrespectful way. There was a story we were setting the Kinky Boots off Broadway here, and he was like, Ricky, why are you over there? And I was like, because you told me to be here. <laughs> That's why. <laughs> and I can say that, but probably no one else can. <laughs> Yeah, I remember working with Sergio Trujillo. And, you know, I'm not a dancer first, so choreographers just in general intimidate me. And I even, whenever I had Jerry on the podcast, I even mentioned that to him, that choreographers are just tough for me, you know, because I, I feel like I have so much to prove to them. Not that I have a lot of talent in dance, but I want to at least do something. But Sergio was kind of getting on us in Adam's family about this one section, and he picked me out as not getting this particular step. And in the almost in the heat of the moment, but I hope I said it in at least a respectful way. But I was like, I'll get it, Sergio. I promise. I'll get it. And he just, the whole room just kind of went silent for a bit. He's like, okay. And then he just moved on. So sometimes you just kind of have to stick up for yourself. And uh, and usually I think people, if it's done in a respectful way, they, you know, yeah. they understand that and then they move on. But uh, there is a <laughs> I will tell, just because I enjoy this story. We did our production of Becoming Nancy uh, at the Alliance in 2019 and world premiere show, loved being a part of it. There's one section where we had balloons and we were kind of doing this swaying thing with the balloons where we would sway and the balloons would like sway opposite of us. And someone in the show wasn't holding it right. So it wasn't getting the effect. And Jerry went up to the oh, you're not doing it the right way. This is how you do it. And Jerry demonstrated it. And Jerry demonstrated it wrong. And I said, Jerry, you're doing it wrong. That's not how you do it. And so he was like, well, how do you do it then? And I showed him. And I was like, okay, Ricky's the balloon captain now. So 
<laughs> like once again, probably the only person you could have said that. Of course, yeah, yeah. No one else is going to pipe up and say, "Jerry Mitchell, you're doing it wrong." You're doing it wrong. The thing you're doing the thing that you choreographed wrong. I would assume, though, that you have learned a lot from him professionally. I mean, certainly, you know, in listening to the stories that he told on the podcast, he's just had so many different experiences in L.A. and New York and the various shows that he's done. And I assume that you too have learned from him in both a personal and professional way. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, he's a wealth of stories from the greats. And uh, I'm always surprised when, like, I feel like I've heard them all. And then we'll be in rehearsal or he'll, we'll be with someone and he'll pull another one out. And like, I haven't heard that story before. What do you, like, I'm still learning more things about you after 10 years. And yeah, just, I mean, just seeing his work ethic. One of the things uh, that I love about the way that Jerry works is he's able to command a room in a way that gets things done. And lets people know that like maybe they're not doing the best they can, but still giving that smile or that laugh, that thing that says like, I still love you. We're having a good time. There's joy here. Get it done. <laughs> but I love you. And he's, I think some directors kind of struggle because they just get like, oh, this has to be right. You got to get it done. And then people feel like, oh my God, they hate me. Or, oh my God, they're a tyrant. Or And Jerry is able to get all the work done and get it done right and still be a joy to be around, which is a hard thing to do. Well, I think touching back on some of the stories that you've told, acting, singing, dancing, it is very vulnerable because we're showing ourselves, we're showing what we hope to be our talent, our creativity, and we hope that it's good enough, be it for the audition or once we're actually in performance. And so it's a very tender and vulnerable place for yeah. us to be to expose ourselves and depending on how directors come at us can be whether we're bolstered up or whether we're kind of torn down. And it sounds like that you coming out of this dancer bubble or this box that you felt you were in and now being able to incorporate acting, singing and with it, you know, being a more complete performer, it sounds like that you're able to better shine and come into your own as well. Yeah, absolutely. What do you think has been the biggest factor in you coming from dancer and being so proficient in that to now embracing these other sides of your creativity and talent? Well, it's not really that I've been embracing it. I've always had it. It's like I grew up doing, I mean, everyone was the lead in their high school play, but like I was <laughs> and like I did straight plays and went to NYU and did like scene studies and all that. And for whatever reason, I felt like when I started auditioning, because I was a good dancer and I looked a certain way, I felt like the industry said, oh, you're a cute young guy and you dance really well. So that's what you are. And at first I was like, great. Yes. If that's my way in, if I can be a dancer and then work my way up into like playing roles and stuff, that's great, which is still what I'm trying to do. So it's not that I'm embracing these. They're not new sides of me. It's like I'm finally saying no to opportunities that are only dance. One of the things Jerry's taught me is saying no can be a powerful thing because I sort of realized like if I continue to do these dance only gigs, then people aren't going to see these other sides of me. And so uh, I... I started saying no to that. And I think what was helpful also was I started booking some TV roles and they're like nothing that has taken a huge amount of acting to do. But even if they're like, they're one line or two lines, it's like you still have to be believable. 
you still have to be, you know, if you're playing, I'll tell I was, I was a recurring character in Pose and my audition for that, I had to go all the way down to the audition room and I had to say the words we were recording and that's it. And I was like, great, like, whatever, this is dumb. I said those two words, I'll go home. And then I booked it. I was like, yay, <laughs> whatever. But it's so that like, I could have been like, we're recording or like, we're recording or just like something I, face I, or fall. Of course, because we're false. actors and we want yeah. to Im imbibe every word with something. Yeah. But sometimes it just needs to be Sometimes simple. you just have to be like, this is how a person would say it. There's no deeper meaning behind this. <laughs> they're saying we're recording because they're recording. But that audition process taught me another lesson. On the flip side of saying no to opportunities, you also never know what will come of an opportunity because so I booked that role and I went in and filmed that one episode and they ended up putting me in another scene with another longer line. And then actually like a month or two later, they called to see if I could be a part of another episode. And it was actually when we were rehearsing at the Muni and I was trying to find some way that the Muni would let me out for like a day. Like I Please, I've done Kinky Boost before. I know it. Let me go film this TV show that's paying a lot more than you're paying me, even though the media pays very well, but TV also pays like really well. And, uh, and they just, they wouldn't let me do it. And I was so bummed that I was like, oh, I could have been a recurring character and now the opportunity's lost. So I didn't film that episode. But then after I came back, they asked me again to film another episode. So I got to go back and film a second episode. And then that season ended. And then for the next season, they had me back two more times. And so like small part, like a line, maybe two lines in each. But I was able to just film four episodes of the show from going to an audition and saying, we're recording. Right. You never know what's going to happen. I mean, especially on TV, in a musical, it's kind of one and done. Maybe you can go on to do a tour or something like that. But with TV, you can do the one show. And I've heard of those people that they were on for one episode, and then all of a sudden they become a recurring character, and whether it's a big part or a small part. So I imagine that was some validation as well. It's like, oh, see that they're hiring me for other things besides just, a, you know, what my legs can do. <laughs> yeah, the starting to do TV and film and like actually saying words was validating. And also like I started to take classes because it had been a while since I took my acting classes at NYU. And I took just, there's sort of audition classes, but so you're working on scenes and I, I took improv levels one through four to just like get me grounded in listening, responding as an actor. And I thought that was really great actually. And I think I touched on it maybe in, in one of the questions you asked. Yeah, those final five yeah. questions. Taking those improv classes really helped me be confident in making choices as an actor and making comedic choices because comedy is hard and it can be scary because the thought of bombing is so horrible. And what I've learned doing improv is that it's actually easier to make people laugh than I initially thought because I think people want to laugh. And if you're being truthful with it and you're just not being loud and crazy for the sake of being loud and crazy and there's truth in comedy it's it's not that hard to make people laugh but that confidence of making choices has helped me stand out i think in audition rooms when i am going in as an actor first and that's how i feel like i initially booked muriel's wedding when i did book it because i went into this singer call and it wasn't a song that i necessarily felt that i sounded incredible on i sounded good 
But that song in particular, I sang because I was making a strong comedic choice with it. And the music director really likes that. And so they saw my potential from that and call me back from there. Yeah, I think it's so important that we continue to push ourselves and expand. You know, like I started out as a singer, so that was my first initial thing with performing and the acting kind of came along with it, but I was still a singer first. And over time, then my acting got better. I was forced into dancing because I did musical theater. And so, you know, then I picked that up slowly. But yeah, as, as much as we can push ourselves and expand maybe what we're initially good at and becoming better at other forms of performance. I mean, it can only help us, as you're trying to do, go from stage to now TV and film and onto other things. And I think that's that's what we all strive to do, that making it, it sounds like for you, is that continuation and growing into becoming a complete performer. Yeah, and having, having people see and recognize that. And I think being well-rounded is very important, but also I think playing to your strengths is important. When you know there are other sides to you that people aren't seeing, it's important to find opportunities to show those sides and surprise people. Once again, I've been asked to sing at a couple of cabarets, events, whatever. Every single time, someone comes up to me afterwards and says, I had no idea you could sing. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I, I do. <laughs> it's sort of the one of the things you do in musical theater. But it's just this perception, which I hope people can break. It's this perception of dancers is wrong that dancers can't sing and dancers can't act. The acting thing really doesn't get me because if you're a good dancer, you're a good actor. I know there's words involved, but there's still that emotion that has to be real and genuine when you're dancing. And, and, and that storytelling aspect. Yeah. And I get there are some dancers who are incredible dancers who can't really sing very well. I understand that. But there are also a whole lot of dancers who have incredible voices and are incredible actors. I, I think of Paloma, who was in the West Side Story movie, as Graziella, who I just kind of knew from doing Broadway Bears. And she's an incredible dancer. Not that I didn't think she could do more than just be an incredible dancer. But when I saw her in the movie, she broke my heart. She was so incredible in that role. But it's just like, it's this thing that people do with dancers that they put them in a box and they say, this is the only thing you can do. And I feel like those of us who have been put into that box, we have to say like, no, this is one part of what I do. Someone once said in a musical, make them hear you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, I appreciate you sharing these stories and uh, having us hear what you have done and haven't done in some cases, but I appreciate you coming on and sharing your experiences. Of course. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining Ricky and myself today, but remember the conversation continues not only with his audition story bonus episode, but also with the final five questions on the WinMe blog. You'll find a link to all that and more in the show notes or by going to whyillnevermakeit.com. Well, that does it for me, Patrick Oliver-Jones, in charge of writing, editing, and producing this podcast. Background music is by John Bartman and Blue Dot Sessions. Why I'll Never Make It is a WinMe Media production, and it is part of the Helium Radio Network and a member of the Broadway Makers Alliance. Join me next time as we talk more about Why I'll Never Make It.